I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians again. If you are disappointed in seeing me this morning and not Stephen Yule, you can join the club. We're looking forward to hearing uh, the word preached by Dr. Stephen Yule. He texted me yesterday morning and he said that uh, he was having, experiencing really bad lower back pain. And then he texted me around two o'clock and said he hadn't gotten out of bed yet and that he better cancel for this morning because he wasn't quite sure if he'd be getting out of bed for a couple of days. So please pray for him. Please pray for Heritage. Pray for not just um, Bible college students and seminary students. Pray for university students. Pray for that generation that is figuring out what school looks like, what education looks like for professors, for educators. We've had a tough time figuring out one day a week, what we're doing one day a week here. Um, It is very difficult for educators, schools, students to figure all of this stuff out. So please be in prayer for them. And uh, especially in prayer for Heritage. We have a a great connection with them. So please keep them in your prayers throughout the next coming weeks and months. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We finished halfway through verse 18. We finished with Paul rejoicing. Paul rejoicing in in the midst of imprisonment, in the midst of false accusations and misunderstandings about him and his ministry. Paul is rejoicing even though there are others who have envy and rivalry towards him, towards the uh, the preaching of the gospel. But he says it in the middle of verse 18 there, and because of this I rejoice. Why? Because Christ is being preached. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what people say, where I am, what happens to me. It does not matter as long as Christ is preached. His focus is not on his personal circumstances, it's on preaching Christ. And I think even there, that might be something for us before we go any further. Rejoicing regardless of what our personal circumstances look like. Our personal circumstances do not look like what they did six months ago. And chances are they're not going to look the same six months from now. But is your joy found in Christ and in him alone or in something else in your personal circumstances? Nothing will change Paul's attitude. And as we will see in our passage, not even death, Paul continues to rejoice. And he says that in verse 18, the second half there. You can see it in the beginning of the paragraph in the NIV. Paul says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting 
in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray again. Father, again, we come to you and we ask for help. Help to understand, help to see, help by your Holy Spirit to change, to be changed, transformed, and conformed more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the example of Paul, for his heart that he had for the Philippians, for the heart that he had for all believers. We pray that you would help us to listen to what he says, to listen to what you say to us through him. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Paul says he's going to keep on rejoicing. The book of Philippians, it's, it's the book of joy. It's the book that if you buy a devotional book on Philippians, there will be some sort of graphic on the front with the word joy or rejoice always. It is the book of joy, but it is important to see, as we have hopefully seen over the past couple of weeks, what Paul's joy is rooted in. Not who he is, not what he's doing, not his personal circumstances, where he is physically. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Paul plans on continuing to rejoice. If you can come through prison, if you can come through personal attack, if you can come through um, people preaching and doing the thing you do, but out of envy and rivalry, wanting to stir up trouble for you in prison, if you come out of that on the other side rejoicing, and we know why Paul rejoices, but if you come out of that on the other side rejoicing, you can keep on rejoicing. Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Nothing will change that. And I see two reasons why Paul plans on rejoicing in the future. Two things that are key for Paul in why he hasn't just rejoiced up until this point, but why he plans on rejoicing even far into the future. And these two reasons are this. Because, number one, God provides through prayer. And number two, because... There is no bad outcome for the believer. God provides through prayer and there is no bad outcome for the believer. Those two things paired together give Paul confidence in rejoicing in the future. In verse 19, Paul states that prayer works. And we as believers believe that, don't we? Prayer works. Prayer matters. Prayer changes things. It's important to notice though what the believers were praying for. Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says your prayer worked. God heard your prayer. God answered your prayer. And Paul doesn't actually say exactly what they were praying for. He doesn't say exactly this is what you said and this is how God responded. He just gives the Lord's response. He just says, that God provided the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So whatever the prayer is, the Spirit of Jesus Christ has to be the answer. The provision of God in the Spirit of Jesus Christ has to be the answer to whatever the prayer was. Through their prayers, they were important. They were a part of what was going on in Paul's life. But God's provision of the Holy Spirit has to result has to, we have to be able to backtrack to what that prayer was, even though we don't know what it is. But that gives us an idea of how they were praying. That gives us an idea that maybe specifics, because when we pray for specifics, we have a specific outcome in mind. 
Lord, please heal me, I'm sick, right? We have a specific outcome in mind with that when we ask the Lord for that. I want to be healed. There are many instances in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus was confronted with a sick or an ill person and he said, what do you want me to do for you? And in the case of the blind man, he says, Lord, I want to see. That is a very specific thing, right? There's no ambiguity in what that man needed or wanted. He wanted to see. But we're not told the specific thing in this passage. We're just given the answer. Which means their prayer must have been something to the effect of, Father, in Paul's life, in what's happening with Paul, glorify yourself through the defense of the gospel. What's going on with Paul right now? He is in chains for Christ, not for himself. He is defending the gospel, not himself. Father, glorify yourself through Paul in what he is doing in defending the gospel. Because the expectant result of what has happened to Paul, this is the second time that Paul has said that, what has happened to me? And then he doesn't give the details. Now we know it's chains, we know it's prison, but he's not talking about the specifics. He doesn't explain to us the beatings, the ridicule, the actual outcome of what has happened to him. But what has happened to Paul, he expects to turn out for my deliverance. That's at the end of verse 19. Paul is expecting that the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, in answer to the prayer of the Philippians, it will result in Paul's deliverance. Paul will be delivered. Paul expects that whatever happens to him going forward, that the answer to their prayer in the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for his deliverance. The question is, what kind of deliverance? What is Paul expecting to be delivered from? Is it deliverance from his chains? That's possible, and maybe even in some sense likely, because Paul does go on to explain, express his confidence that he will actually see the Philippians. He expects to go from where he is, and there's some ambiguity in terms of where he is specifically at this time, because he doesn't say exactly, but he expects to come back and see the Philippians. He expects to see them, greet them face to face. We'll see in uh, the following chapter that he's going to send Epaphroditus, he's going to send Timothy, he's going to send some others ahead of him, but he expects fully to see them and greet them face to face. So is he expecting deliverance from chains? It's possible. There's perhaps a deliverance more like what we read or had read this morning in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. The deliverance being expressed in the grace of God to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul then expresses in 2 Corinthians 12 how he's going to rejoice in his weakness. He's going to rejoice in the fact that he cannot do what he thinks he ought to be able to do because when he can't do anything, that's when you see the strength and the power of God come through. For when I am weak, then I am strong, not because I have gained some hidden strength, but because Jesus Christ gives me the strength that I need to stand. This is reflected in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He eagerly expects, he eagerly hopes 
he eagerly desires to stand for Jesus Christ, to have sufficient courage in the face of adversity, to face against whatever the world has, and to be committed to Jesus Christ. He has and desires, eagerly expects and hopes for courage to preach with boldness, without shame. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. I expect that what the normal outcome of prison, what the normal outcome of chains, what the normal outcome of envy and rivalry within friends, the normal outcome of having people ridicule and talk about me in a negative way, the normal outcome of that is shame and discouragement. Paul says, no. The Lord has heard your prayer and he has answered. I am not alone in prison. Many have abandoned and many have gone away. And yes, Timothy and Epaphroditus are still here, but Jesus Christ is here with me. And because the Lord has been pleased to answer your prayer, he has provided the spirit and I expect that I will be be delivered. Delivered from fear, delivered from shame, delivered into courage and to standing for Jesus Christ. Courage to preach. There's a sense in which deliverance, because Paul does talk about life and death. He does talk about the end of his life, what could happen. He has confidence that he will see them again, but he still reflects on the fact that death is a reality. And in some sense, we don't know until the Lord calls us home when our time will end. And there's a sense in which deliverance points to Paul's eternal life with God forever. I will be delivered. Whether in life I will be delivered from chains, I will be delivered from fear and shame, and I will be delivered into courage for standing for Jesus Christ, and ultimately I will be delivered on that last day. When I stand before the Ancient of Days, I will stand in Him complete and be delivered from all of my sin, all of my shame, because of what Jesus has done. God has answered prayer He's provided the spirit. He's assured Paul that he will be delivered. Many commentators actually, they talk about the fact that, well, what is Paul actually talking about in being delivered? And many have reflected on the fact that it's a little ambiguous. And they say, I think Paul did that on purpose so that we can actually see the many ways in which God delivers us. The many ways in which, yes, sometimes the chains are gone. That annoying person at work was fired and you don't have to deal with them anymore. The thorn in the flesh is gone. Other times the Lord delivers us, not from the thing, but gives us enough grace to stand. Gives us enough grace to stand in the midst of something that would otherwise, in worldly situations, drive us to madness, insanity, discouragement, and shame. And in many ways, that kind of deliverance is far greater than having the thing removed. The grace to stand. And Paul's goal through all of this Whatever comes, Paul's goal is exalting Jesus Christ. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, this has been Paul's goal from the beginning, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, that Christ will be exalted, that I will maintain faithful witness to Jesus Christ in who I am, that I am not ashamed of Christ or the gospel. That is the prayer that God will always answer. Lord, I want to exalt Jesus Christ in who I am and what I do and what I say. Make that happen in me today. 
that prayer, God never answers no. The specifics might change. The specifics will vary between believer to believer. But if your heart, if your desire is to glorify and exalt Jesus Christ in who you are, the Lord will answer that. The spirit of Jesus Christ, the provision of God, grace to stand, that's the answer. So whatever situation you're in, whatever suffering we may be experiencing, whatever shame we may have, whatever discouragement, we can pray, Lord, glorify Jesus in me today. And the Lord will answer that prayer. But have we prepared ourselves for what that could mean, for what that could look like? Life or death? Paul had prepared himself. Paul had looked at the overall scope of what that meant for his life, exalting Jesus Christ in everything that he was. Paul had looked at that. He was pleased that the Lord had answered the prayer of the Philippians to give him exactly what he needed, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And Paul had assessed, you know what? Life, death, it doesn't matter. Because the second thing that Paul was holding on to was there's no bad outcome for the believer. There's nothing bad in terms of following Jesus Christ has no bad outcome. There's either a fruitful life of service or there's death and inheritance gained. Paul's goal, as always, had been pursuing Christ and his glory. And in verse 21, let me just stop. And verse 21 is a pretty famous verse, right? We've all heard this many times. There have been whole sermons preached on one verse. There have been series preached on this one verse. There have been conferences. There have been Bible studies just on this one verse. The depth and the riches of what is in here is too much to, well, we'd be here a very long time. But in one verse, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul declares himself to be untouchable. Paul says that the believer in Jesus Christ is untouchable. There is a sense in which the believer is untouchable because they will not die. They will not come to the end of their life here on this earth until the Lord says so. There is that truth. There is that fact that the Lord is sovereign over every life. But can you imagine having Paul in prison, a guy who does not fear death and is actually, as we find out, is eager for death because of what that means for him? How do you torture that guy? You can't hold death over his head. You cannot say, deny Christ or I will kill you. If you were to say that to Paul, he'd go, ah, that means glory for me. Bring it on. All right, well, we'll, we'll keep you here. We won't give you that. That's what you want. We won't give you that. We'll keep you here on earth. Ah, then I will go on preaching. That will mean fruitful labor for me. How do you discourage that kind of person? Paul is untouchable. To live is Christ. That is, Paul has been taken over by Christ completely. Every area of Paul's life has been taken over by who Christ is. Every moment, every thought, every action, every word is done for Christ. Is that 
true of you? In some sense, only you and the Lord know that. I think if we were all honest, we would say that's not as true as we want it to be. That most of my moments and a lot of my thoughts, maybe half of my actions, some of my words are done for Christ, the rest are really done for me. The only way that we can say Christ has completely taken over us is to actually have Christ as our goal. Because for, for Paul, Christ is the goal. Christ is the end game. Christ is where he's going. It's why death doesn't matter. Because Christ is the prize at the end of the tunnel. Life here then, well, that's the pursuit of that goal. That's the pursuit of Christ. That's running the race. To die is gain because the inheritance is granted. Because we have everything that was promised. You remember Ephesians 1? Every spiritual, heaven, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us in Jesus Christ. That is true now and there's a sense in which that's true also in the future. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place becomes ours. To die is gain in some sense because the struggles of this life are gone, because the thorn in the flesh is gone, because we are no longer in the flesh. And we can see that sometimes in the faces of those who have led long lives, they're nearing the end. And I remember seeing this in my grandmother's face the last couple of times I got to visit with her before she passed away. After 85 years and a number of decades of pursuing Jesus and following him and serving him. After battling cancer, you can just see how the weight of all of the sin in this world just expressing itself in cancer, it just weighs heavy on individuals. But those struggles are gone when we leave this body. To die is gain because that is gone. To die is gain because we are in the presence of Christ. To die is gain because Christ is exalted. When Paul stands in the face of death and says, bring it on. I'm going to keep preaching Jesus until my last breath. And then when I am gone and when I am out of this body, Christ will be exalted in what I've done and in how I've died. Paul is untouchable. And because death is gain... For the believer, you can live for Christ now. See, Paul's focus is the end of the race, the gain we have in Christ in death. And because he's focused on that, he can now run the race properly. Because his eyes are on the goal, he now knows how to act now. You can live for Christ now. Verse 22 says, If I am to go on living in the body, which tells us something about bodies and who we are. We have a body, but this body is not all that we are because Paul recognizes that when I depart from this body, when I depart from this earth, I, I go, I go to be with Christ. But if I am to go on living in the body, here and now, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor. Some of us just labor. <laughs> Some of us are just spinning the wheels. 
And some of us are just spinning the wheels, not because we don't have good hearts, not because we're not sincerely intentioned, but because our eyes are not on the goal of Christ. Because our eyes are on the goal of creating a good ministry, whatever it may be. And those are good and fruitful things. But because the goal is just this thing and not Christ, we spin our wheels. And we may have some sort of fruit, but it's not the fruit that Paul is talking about. And what is fruitful ministry, fruitful labor, labor for Paul? It's preaching Christ. That's been his whole emphasis, his whole theme coming uh, into this section That was the reason that Paul met the Philippians. It was the reason that Paul met Timothy. It's the reason that Paul went to Philippi. It's the reason Paul planted the church. It's the reason he writes this letter. It's the reason, it's the foundation for who they are as uh, Paul and the Philippians together. It's the foundation of their prayer for each other. Paul praying for the Philippians and that they grow in gospel ministry and gospel fruitfulness. And it's the root of the prayer for the Philippians for Paul. Wherever he is, Lord, grow him. Make him be fruitful and glorify Jesus. Fruitful ministry, fruitful labor can't be anything short than preaching Christ. Now that'll look different depending on the specific ministry. That'll have a different approach. But if our goal and aim is not preaching Christ, having the glory and exaltation of Jesus Christ in the front of our minds, that's not what Paul describes as fruitful labor. Paul rejoices in life and death. Paul plans on continuing to rejoice even in the face of death. And he doesn't know which to choose. Notice at the end of verse 22, the last half there. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Now Paul's not really talking about the fact that he actually has a choice. Being in chains, he really doesn't have much choice in terms of what the Roman guards do to him. What the Roman government does to him. He doesn't really have a choice even in the sense of the Lord is the one with the choice. The Lord is the one who decides whether Paul is freed or whether he is executed because Paul's life is in his hands. So what does Paul mean by choice? What he's talking about, I think, reasonably, what he's saying is, I don't know what to long for. I don't know what to to really yearn after. We all have different longings, right? Some of us long for this mask thing to be done and over with, right? Right? Some of us have that kind of long, oh, I just can't wait for this to be done. Some of us have a longing for this pandemic thing to stretch on for decades because they love not coming near anybody. Those introverts love the fact that nobody is allowed anywhere near them. I long for this to keep going. Paul says, I don't know what to long for. And it's not between longing for a good thing or a bad thing. It's not like he's, he's warring against himself, trying to convince himself of one thing being better than the other. I long for Jesus. And I long for him so much that death doesn't matter to me. And I long for him so much that here in this life, I will continue to serve him. What do we long for? What do we yearn for? In our heart of hearts, what is your deepest desire? For many of us, from, okay, I'll just speak for myself. I shouldn't say for many of us. For myself, I don't like thinking about that question because that takes a long time to get to the root of the problem, to get really down there, right? That takes a long time to think, what do I actually yearn for? What do I long for? 
The Sunday school answer is, I long for Jesus to be glorified, right? That's what Paul has been talking about. That is what Paul truly, honestly, in his heart of hearts, longs for. Is that true of you? I, I, I don't know if it is. Only you and the Lord know. We look to Paul's example. We look to the cross to see what Christ has done for us. And the only way that you will wake up every morning with the glory of Jesus Christ as your ultimate longing, your ultimate goal, is to start there. It's so hard to start in the middle of the day once your workday has started to pick up and go, oh yeah, I should probably care about the glory of Jesus today, right? You're so busy. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to, at the beginning of every day, do your devotions in the morning. There are pros and cons to morning, pros and cons to evening. There's pros and cons to reading lots of scripture, pros and cons to reading just one passage of scripture and reading over that. There's pros and cons to getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning and pr- spending an hour in prayer like the Puritans did, or two or three or four hours. There's the benefits to not starting your day off exhausted, too. Whatever situation that looks like, whatever scenario that looks like for you, have you started off your day with the focus being Jesus Christ? However that works for you, whatever the best way of doing that is, have you started your day off with Christ, with him as your focus? And Paul talking about life and death, it doesn't matter whether I die because that is gain. If I live here in the body, I will continue fruitful ministry. It sounds like in some sense, like Paul has one foot in the grave and one foot out, right? It seems like what he's talking about. He's, he's already basically moved on. He doesn't, well, yeah, I'll have fruitful labor here, but, you know, I really long to be with Christ, which is by far better, obviously. It sounds like he's already got one foot out the door. He's already going. He's already gone. And he, he assures the Philippians that even though that's where my goal is, that's where my focus is, I haven't forgotten about you. Paul does not have one foot out the door. He has one eye on heaven, one eye on earth. One is the goal of Christ. One is the pursuit of Christ. And somehow, one eye on heaven, one eye on earth, he still has both eyes on Christ. He still has both eyes focused intently on the service of Jesus Christ. Being with Christ, verse 23 is far better. And it's not as if Paul, if Christ isn't already with Paul, because that's what he said in verse 19, that the Lord provided, because of your prayers, the Lord provided the spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus is with me right now. So it's not as if Paul is talking about Christ being absent from him or Paul being absent from Christ. It is better by far, verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Depart this earth to be free of sin, to be free of sorrow, to be free of those thorns. Because we do get tired. To be free of those things and to be with Christ is far better. And he means more than just heaven, right? To depart and to be with Christ, yes, is heaven, to be with Christ physically. But Paul means being with Christ perfectly united with him, with who Christ is and what he has done. Being in the presence of Christ in the presence of the Father, being in the presence of the Ancient of Days is not better by far if you are not in Christ. It is a terrifying thing if you are not in Christ. 
if you are not united to him. To be united with Christ, to be crucified with Christ, to be buried with Christ, to be made alive with Christ, to have the inheritance of Christ given to us. We suffer with Christ and we glorify Christ in our sufferings. All of that coming to completion experientially, coming to fruition when we leave this body. Having all of that is clearly better by far. So, I guess the question would be, why, why do so many of us, how are we so, so short-sighted? And, and we go through different phases of this. We go through different experiences of this. We have, let's say, roughly 80 years on earth, which, as Scripture tells us, is just a drop in the bucket, a drop in the ocean. It's very small in terms of eternity. And yet we become so focused, so narrow-minded, so focused on what's going on right here for those, these 80 years that I've got, or 90, 50, however many we've got. We've become so focused on this that the finish line isn't in, even in sight anymore. We're not even, doesn't mean we're not truly saved. Doesn't mean that we don't truly trust Jesus. It means that we get so caught up in what's going on right here and right now that we lose sight of what the goal is. We experience that in a greater sense the closer we come to the end. Rick made a comment earlier this week that he is closer to the end of his life than he is to the beginning. Or no, it was the middle. You were talking about the middle of your life. You're well over the middle of, yes, or you'd have to live for a very long time in order to still be only at the middle. Where is our focus? What is our goal? For Paul, he sincerely says it's Christ. And in the fact that he rejoices in prison, we know that that is actually his goal because his goal is not personal comfort. It's not personal pleasure. It is Christ. But, Paul says in verse 24, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Don't worry, guys. I haven't, I haven't forgotten about you. It's not like I've been so focused on the goal that I haven't forgotten the part of the fruitful labor here and now. The fruitful labor here and now, the best way to use the 80 some odd years you've got here on earth is not by forgetting about the 80 years here. It's by focusing on the goal. By focusing on the goal there, you know how to run here. We can often get caught up worrying about the path in front of us, what that looks like, studying the path very, very well. My father-in-law used to do runs, and he used to uh, do marathons and all that stuff. He actually ran the Boston Marathon once, and um, he, w- he would explain to me running and how much he enjoyed running, and to me, that's just lunacy. Who in the world would actually enjoy running around to just get back to your house? You don't even get anywhere. You just kind of run. That doesn't seem fun to me. But he would run and he'd express the joy that he had, and he would explain that you cannot look down at your feet when you run, because if you're looking down at your feet and not ahead of you at the goal, 
you will trip. You will trip because you're not going to see the pothole. You're not going to see the curb. You're not going to see the person in front of you. All of those things are a part of the things that we need to take into account. But the goal is further ahead. You keep your eyes up. You keep your eyes focused on where you are going, not at what's under your feet. And Paul has put their progress, the Philippians' progress, the joy in their faith before his progress to glory. His eyes are still on glory. His eyes are still on the goal. But he runs beside people helping them. Have you seen those videos on YouTube of people who are running the race and somebody, um, I remember one specifically, this one girl, I think it was college track and field or something, she got a cramp in the back of her leg and she basically fell over. She couldn't run. Her one leg just wasn't working at all because of the cramp. And her teammate, still focused on the goal, it was one teammate and one somebody else from another school, picked her up, put her arms around them, and they finished the race together. And it was in a compilation of, you know, good sportsmanship and caring for each other and helping each other. That is what Paul does. Paul says, my goal is on finishing the race, but you're going to finish with me. You're coming too. And convinced of this, Convinced that it is more necessary that I remain in the body for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul is willing to delay his crossing the finish line for the sake of others. Paul is willing to slow down a little, pick up, help, encourage, exhort, rebuke, and preach Christ. Just a little bit longer here on earth. You know what? What I really want is to finish, to cross that finish line. But for your sake, I'll hold off. I'll wait, and I will help. Paul's attitude about his ministry, his whole approach to ministry life, is something that, example-wise, we should probably seek to attain. It's one that we should all have. Paul's whole emphasis up until the end of verse 26 has been put the gospel first. Put the gospel first. Put the priority of the gospel first in everything that you do, in who you are, in your relationships, in your prayers. Put the gospel first wherever you are. Even if your situation downright stinks, put the gospel first. Put the glory of Jesus Christ at the front of your mind. Put that as the goal. Put that as the focus. And Paul says... I'm going to do whatever is needed if it means that others will boast about Jesus. So that through my being with you again, this is verse 26, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Not boasting in Paul. Not boasting in each other. Not boasting in their great ministries. Boasting in Christ Jesus. So we pause at the end of verse 26. And we see Paul's focus has been on the priority of the gospel. And you can't read chapter 1 without going, okay, Paul has this heavy emphasis on preaching Christ. That's got to be first. Is that true of you? Is that all that you care about? Is that the top priority for you? Is the glory of Jesus the thing that comes first in your life? It was a priority for Paul. It was what he prayed for, for the lives of the Philippians, that they would put Christ first and preach him. And what do you boast about this morning? Are you boasting in Jesus? 
Are you taking great excitement about who Jesus is and what he's done? I think I used the example of Amelia and her pink puppy shoes before. Did I use that one? Jessica's saying, yeah. I'll use it again. Amelia got these pink Paw Patrol puppy shoes from her grandparents, and she hasn't been able to wear them. They're too small. I think the dog ate one of them, actually. Um, She was so excited that she'd wear those things around everywhere, even to church. And you could say, good morning, Amelia, how are you? Or she would go to the park and she'd bump into some friends there. You know, we'd meet people there back when that was acceptable and allowed. And people go, hey, Amelia, how are you? And the first thing out of her mouth was my pink puppy shoes. You see these? Look at these. Look at my pink puppy shoes. She was so excited and proud. She was so grateful. She was so caught up in her pink puppy shoes that the first thing out of her mouth, her first concern, her first priority, no matter who it was, no matter where you were, her first priority was, have you seen my pink puppy shoes? Is the first thing out of your mouth, your first priority, wherever you are, whoever you're talking to, is your first priority, have you seen my Jesus? Have you seen his glory? Have you seen who he is? Let me tell you about him. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we haven't gotten to the depths of the riches of this passage or even of verse 21. We confess that there is so much more to see and to hear and to know about Jesus and serving him. We confess that we fall short in so many ways. And Lord, we ask that you would help us moving forward to be fruitful in our labor for Jesus. Help us to refocus, to put our our sights on the proper goal, on Jesus himself, so that we can say, like Paul, wherever we are, whatever we do, we want people to boast about Jesus on account of who we are. We thank you and praise you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.